back in the studio. We have North Carolina on the phone once again. North Carolina, what is your status? Well, my status is I'm a person. My name is Vinny, so you should introduce me as Vinny just just once, man. I don't represent all of North Carolina, as has become apparent. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, So, Vinny, we are on the phone. We could have done this at any time in the last week or so since it since the event that we specifically took place in took place, but something important happened today uh, that makes this worth talking about. And I will yeah, let I mean, you was, explain it because it was mostly it, a foregone conclusion, but uh, we had been following the redistricting uh, efforts in North Carolina as a Supreme court order came down, determined that surprise, surprise, the Republican party in North Carolina had racially gerrymandered uh, the house and Senate districts for our state house to ensure that even though they received about 50% of the vote in 2016, they received about 70% of the seats. It's actually more like 67%. So these were uh, the redrawn maps that had been ordered by the court, uh, put before the public in the form of a public hearing that we attended, uh, and then voted on today where they were passed, obviously, unanimously by the House and the Senate. Um, In this case, this legislation does not go before the governor, who is a Democrat, who would have a chance to veto it. It's going to go directly to the courts. It's a federal panel of three judges who will either approve them or deny them and then choose what to do next, which could be kicking it back to the legislature to have them try it again or uh, just consulting outside experts and drawing the maps themselves. There's a bunch of different things that we could get into about the minutia of this particular case, but given that this was literally the first time I believe I've been to a political event of any kind, um, and you dragged me there because I happened to be in the vicinity, um, and it was an entertaining enough thing from a uh, morbid outside perspective to look at how this particular sausage gets made, or doesn't in this case, because obviously the hearing we went to uh, for a variety of reasons that we should get into, because I assume this is not the only place this ever happens, uh, was pretty much doomed from the start. Uh, there was no one no one in the room representing either party, I think, expected much out of this hearing, either in terms of turnout or in terms of impact. Um, I'd say this... The cynicism from our side was on full display with the number of questions directed to the organizer who was a local uh, Republican representative. Just just completely cynical uh, outlooks on everything that was going on, rightfully so, right? A lot of questions leveled at him about uh, the, the last-minute nature of the hearings, the fact that there was only one, the size of the room we were in. It was a room of about, what, 50-some-odd people for— quite a contentious oh it was full issue. it was the room was full halfway like a half an hour prior to the start of the thing and then there was standing room only um i managed to almost get a couple of people to trip over the power cable for my laptop including one other representative uh just because people were shuffling in and out the whole time but no well, in mean, the moment i had to peek my head out the door by the time the hearings had gotten underway i mean there were lines down the hallway with three or four officers making sure that no one went in unless somebody left permanently. So clearly more people wanted to attend, just didn't have the opportunity to, because uh, as was repeatedly point, pointed out to us, the uh, capacity of that room per the fire marshal was 70 individuals, give or take. Yeah, no, uh, we hit occupancy pretty quickly, as, and we also hit the number of possible speakers 
very quickly um, for a what you've told me is a novel reason. Um, generally speaking, when you do public hearings, you have a hearing in one place. And then if you need more hearings, you have one in a different place, a different place, a different. This one was six hearings at exactly the same time. And we had to listen to streams of all the other places take turns, like three people at a time for three minutes. And that was not what, I mean, I guess I'll put it this way. If I was given four hours notice, I could have used my house as one of those conference rooms much more competently than any of the six rooms were used. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And it led to this terrible cycle of waiting where we had dozens of speakers signed up at a single location, but you knew that you were only going three or four speakers at a time in each location. So if you were far down that list, you were pretty much buckled in for, you know, maybe seven or eight hours until the rotation got around to you since it took about, let's say, what, about an hour to go through the three or four speaker allotment at each site and then circle back around again? Well, by necessity, I mean, what, three times three times six? No, and you didn't, you signed up, what, an hour before the event and didn't manage to make it before we decided to just head for the hills. Yeah, and we were there for about four hours, so it definitely, yeah, definitely took a long time. And I mean, for comparison, uh, in Charlotte, when we were debating... (laughs) The uh, the bill that would kick off the HB2 fiasco in North Carolina, uh, which was just the trans bathroom bill, we had dozens of hours of testimony from citizens, multiple hearings. There was a lot more public input for that, for a cultural issue that affects far fewer people than this does, uh, just to kind of give an idea of how... <laughs> how roughshod this was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to harp on the, the outrage angle of this. I'm mostly interested in the mechanics by which, and there was actually my favorite speaker of the whole night. I, uh, uh, given that it seems impossible to find the audio for this thing, uh, I haven't searched too hard, but given I, I actually knew exactly what I was looking for and I'm relatively competent in the internet and I could not find the audio or video transcripts of this hearing. Um, if I put them up on my website, they will be much more visible. So I'll probably just do that since I don't think I said you or I said anything terribly incriminating on that recording. Uh, though no, it is, I don't think so. Though it is extremely hard to hear. Um, my little Sony recorder did the best job it could, but unfortunately it was trying to record a poorly recorded stream. So it was, it was tough to do, but one of the guys, uh, was a pastor. And this is the, the part of this that I, the, beyond the mechanics of attempting to engineer a hearing that is only a hearing by the letter of the law. I also want to talk about what you actually hear at things like this. I was surprised by how civil it was in general. Um, it was, remarkably self it was remarkably well contained um only a couple of people actually shouted at all i really think in a lot of these instances um it's the crowd size that does something like that the more people you have packed into one place the more likely it is to get rowdy because the voices just tend to amplify one another especially when you have a speaker who's carrying that outrage through the crowd and getting feedback from them um but the multi-room, multi-location setup served to uh, allow the 
organizers of the event to make sure that people weren't clapping or making excessive noise in response to speakers. So they're able to cut that potential energy off at the source. And I think that did a lot to keep things relatively civil. So we're getting at this slightly out of order um, just because, I don't know, I, I've never had to talk about anything like this before. <laughs> I've never been specifically well, as involved who's, in As it. someone who's never done something like this before, did it grip you? Was it something that you would do again? I mean, again, I have a morbid fascination with these kinds of things um, from, <laughs> from the way in which they they facilitate the mechanisms of power. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I don't know that I would speak at any of them, but it was, why would you not speak? I'm not sure. I, I guess I don't know. I didn't sign up for this one because it seems slightly out of place for someone who lives a thousand miles away to be commenting on North Carolinian politics. See, I think that would have made you more legitimate as a, an unbiased observer, right? An outsider. Maybe that would have lent some weight to your voice. Of course, I don't think you could have told them you were an outsider and still gotten a speaking slot, so that may not matter at all. Well, no, I got to... Actually, this event is novel in that it's the first time I wrote down a machination log as a press credential, effectively, because uh, they ask what your... Um, they, oh, what your organization yeah, was. Yeah, what my organization was, yeah. and I put MacLog on there. So yeah. it's technically the first time on paper that I have affiliated myself with my own website. So that was good. It gave. I didn't get a press badge or anything. Unfortunately, it didn't. Uh, it didn't yield me that. Um, oh, we should also mention when this happened. Just, Which was just, just for the purpose the, of the the stick in the eye. It was. Uh, it was a Tuesday was. at uh, four thirty. I want to say yeah, Tuesday at four thirty, and a number of speakers were happy to note that uh, that precluded a lot of working class people or people that weren't able to get off work or get out there. From, from coming out. And like you said, we don't want to harp on the outrage element of it too much, but it was clearly designed to limit input from speakers. Uh, another thing we didn't note with regard to room sizes, I believe there were seven rooms. The ones that were in liberal areas were the smallest. <laughs> and of course you had, you had significantly larger rooms elsewhere. Yeah, no, we were, we were in the closest one to Charlotte, the city it had a room with 50. Um, I forget what the name of the... Uh, Halifax was the name of the, the site with the most room and did not even meet occupancy. Uh, no, they had maybe 20 or 30 people there at most. Um. <laughs> it's just... I, so yeah, it was- I mean, again, I, I understand that it's in the use the, for the purpose of evil and it's important not to respect evil more than absolutely necessary, but I do admire the number of ways in which this can be tooled to be as ineffective as possible. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, that effectiveness, I think played out not only in the strategy for organizing these hearings, but also in the rhetoric employed by some more prominent local Republicans in justifying it. Um, guys like uh, a very famous Republican here, one of the more powerful ones in the state, a guy named Phil Berger, gave a speech uh, today, maybe yesterday, possibly today, uh, talking about why these these maps were just. And rhetorically, it was a very good speech. It had some problems <laughs> once you dug into it a little bit. But uh, much like you, I couldn't help but admire the way that he kind of twisted everything to his advantage. Um, we can talk about that a little bit if you'd like. 
Well, I just the idea of adhering to the letter of the law. I, that that sort of seems to be the undercurrent of this entire this entire thing. The redistricting failed because a judge ruled it to be unconstitutional. So they rewrote a version of it that is constitutional. They didn't rewrite a version of it that is more just. It is Well, let's be a little more let's be a little more specific there. Uh it was ruled on constitutional uh on the basis of uh race packing into certain districts, uh, basically erasing certain black votes and uh, other minority votes. And so when they were given instructions to redraw the maps, one of the, I think, eight instructions they were given was to not consider race when drawing the maps and also to respect county lines because um, there were some, some mixed uh, districts within counties. And so what they did was they really took that quite literally and totally ignored race while using partisan voting data instead to draw these districts and then used the fact that they had only split uh, 12 counties as opposed to 19 in this previous map as evidence that they tried, uh, even though it's still a heavily gerrymandered map. So, and that, that, that's one of the things that Berger really hammered on was that they had eliminated seven of these split counties and that they had followed the letter of the law. So yeah, that's exactly what you're talking about. I mean, if you look at the map, I'll put a picture of it up on the uh, up on the website for this post for the podcast. Um, if you look at some of these districts, they were designed on a computer to comply to specific ratios that are now considered for the purpose of the justice of any particular uh, jurisdiction. And the one that's worth focusing on here is District 41, um, which is technically compliant to 260% of, I forget what the name of the ratio, it's the something popper ratio. Um, it's considered more than sufficiently compliant based on its compactness. And I would like anyone uh, to tell me with a straight face that that seems practical, that that, that, that district should exist in its current form. Um, it's, it's all, it's, it's all just about, and we, we talked about this before, actually on literally on our last podcast, uh, the, the difference between the degree to which Republicans and Democrats understand the game of power anymore. Whenever gerrymandering comes up, the way that everybody just opts out of the conversation is to say, well, everybody does it. Um, the Democrats, I mean, for one thing, I guess I should back up and say moral equivalency is not an argument. Like, if it's bad to do, no one should be doing it. But beyond right. that, Democrats, by some relatively bland statistical measures, if they are doing it, they really suck at it. Well, and so that's that's the interesting uh, element of this case in North Carolina is one of the things that, that Berger went on about in this speech was how Republic, or Republicans had suffered at the hands of Democrats for a very long time in North Carolina because Carolina, as far as southern states go, has had a pretty strong Democratic tradition. We've had... Uh, Govern, I'm sorry, our governor has been a Democrat uh, from 1993 to 2013. And again, now our Senate was Democratic from 1992 to 2011. And our House was Democratic from 1999 to 2011. And the Democrats at the time uh, drew some really, really heavily gerrymandered maps. So Democrats sucking at this, I think, is a more recent development where they've slipped more into the uh, appeals to decency. They, they used to know how to exercise power, and I think you should post this uh, NC Senate Plan 1C from 2002 when they held power, because it is far worse by any measure of compactness uh, or aligning counties with one another. 
than what we have now. I mean, it is really something to behold. And it says something that uh, the Republicans took power really in 2011 with a Democratic map. Um, so it's definitely not it's not all gerrymandering and it's not all the Democrats sucking at it, especially not in North Carolina. But that really is the, the argument that uh, the GOP here is leaning on is that there's a moral equivalency because Democrats used to gerrymander so heavily that this is just their comeuppance and they're just exercising political power, which, you know, in a sense they are, doesn't make it just. Yeah, no, I just don't, I don't buy that as an argument in and of itself, but that's no, and, neither here nor there. Well, it's sort of here or there. It's, it's kind of the, the crux of the argument that they're making to keep these maps. No, the, the argument they're making is that they're perfectly legal. I mean, that's, that's the argument. That's the one that they failed last time and that they are, for some reason, sure, despite uh, that's the other the fun tidbit in the background is I forget what the guy's first name, but a uh, a one Mr. Hoffeller, Tom Hoffeller is responsible for creating both the map that failed and this new map. And this guy has a long I believe he's been doing this for about 40 years now, but he has been the GOP's map guy uh, for a long time. He has a storied history of rigging maps just enough to be legal and a really, really long profile about him in the Atlantic in 2012 kind of detailed his strategy, which was to do it just to the extent that you could get away with it. And he would come up with one story to tell each year of a legislature that overstepped their potential bounds and got smacked down by the courts. Apparently North Carolina is going to be his new example up until recently it was Texas uh, who he warned against some of their more egregious violations. And now, of course, they're tied up in the court system as well. So this guy, a very shrewd operator, but uh, yeah, they brought him back in and paid him $50,000 and said, hey, we need to make this just a teensy bit less racist. Can you do that? Turns out he could. Yeah, we'll find, no, we'll find out about that part. It's still, again, this, I, this, this has passed just as many legislatures as the last one did now. I think the courts are going to approve this one. I don't, I think that they adhered to the request that the court made. The court was not particularly rigid in describing what they wanted done. Um, All right. And they gave them too many, and they gave them too many outs. I just don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it. I don't see any of these problems going away until a standard can be adopted by which we can measure any electoral map against. And the one that's going before the Supreme Court in the case of Wisconsin is the efficiency gap, which seems like a really solid metric to use. And uh, Describe the efficiency gap. Should we? Yeah, should we, should we explain that a little bit? Definitely. So the efficiency gap looks at both parties in a given state, um, talks about the number of wasted votes for each party as a metric. These are votes that were either cast and not needed to win or cast for a losing candidate. And those often occur due to what they call packing and cracking, which is uh, <laughs> when you draw districts that either pack voters in to minimize their effect in surrounding districts or to crack a coalition into multiple districts and diminish their power. Uh, so they would do that for all races in a state. Uh, then they take the difference between the wasted votes cast for each political party and divide that difference by the total number of votes cast. It's a really simple metric. Um, so they ran that analysis on this new proposed map in North Carolina, and they actually used data from uh, eight 
of our previous elections over the past uh, eight years <clears throat> and found an efficiency gap of about 11 percent. Uh, and what that means is that in order for the Democrats to win 50 percent of the seats in the state, they'd have to get about 55 percent of the vote, 55.5 percent of the vote. Republicans only have to get about 45.5. Now, the one that's before the Supreme Court right now considers anything over about 6 percent to be a severely gerrymandered state that uh, provides a significant advantage for the party that is receiving that uh, that efficiency gap. And so we're we're about double that standard. But until we come up with something like that, even if it's not that, to apply to these maps, I just don't see how anything changes because they're just going to keep doing exactly what they're doing now and making things that are just legal enough to skirt by that bake in their advantage. So that obviously the efficiency gap and its implementation would be an important step toward that. Um, let's pivot since that would be part of this this next concept. What are we supposed to do if we care about something like this? Because the hearings were quite obviously not effective. They were they were within the boundaries of the people who I, the people who were listening theoretically to those hearings had no interest in the opinions of the people at those hearings. The numbers we've got um, before we took a break um, was 49 to 4 against. There were four people who uh, decided to sign up and speak against what was going on here. And you were saying that that was, that was actually relatively proportionate to some other statistics about the degree of support this has. Yeah, public policy polling ran some surveys in Carolina in 2015 when this issue was really emerging to the fore and found that uh, across partisan lines, there was about 85 to 90 percent support for independent districting. Almost every citizen agrees that people who are elected officials should not be allowed to draw their own boundaries. I mean, that's a it transcends boundary lines. And it was reflected in some, some of the people that we saw speaking uh, and their opinions. Uh, I think one of my favorite illustrations was a gentleman from Guilford County, which is a, a fairly democratic area. And he was a representative for the local Republican party. So a little bit of a minority in his territory, but he came up there and talked about the fact that it was really stupid to not invite the people who had filed and won the lawsuit to even look at the maps before they started voting on them to avoid the potential for future future lawsuits. Uh, and it just struck me that even, even your own party and even your own people realize that what you're doing is not necessarily sufficient to meet the needs of the populace that you're supposed to be serving. Compared to other events of its kind, how informed was this audience here? Uh, I'd say very informed. I mean, I, I'd say the more granular you get, the more informed people tend to get when they are asked to turn out. And this is a pretty, this is not a social issue. This is more of a wonky, like technocratic issue. And it just seems like you get more informed speakers at those events. Going back to something like the, the bathroom bill, um, in North Carolina, which I think everyone at this point knows about, those public hearings had some really loud, uninformed people, but I didn't hear a whole lot of that. 
uh, at this one. Yeah, no, I was I, I would have assumed this is a rather particular phenomenon. I mean, there were a couple of people who mentioned apartheid specifically, and there were a lot of there, actually. I think Nazi only came up twice. Yeah, I didn't hear a lot of Nazi. There were there were definitely like one or two allocations leveled but it wasn't a common refrain which was nice it didn't it didn't need to go there. oh yeah no i i was i was not a fan when it came up and unfortunately uh the lady who started the whole thing off was one of the people who said both apartheid and nazis and i was afraid that was where it was headed and thankfully it veered off relatively quickly after that as one would expect there were what like i think five naacp reps there it was heavy, uh, yeah, heavy representation I mean, from them. NAACP reps, the, the plaintiff from uh, the Piedmont who had filed the suit, there was the one of the very prominent former uh, black congresswomen from the state gave a, gave a speech as well. Um, so there were definitely a lot of, uh, just a lot of people who... A lot of institutionalists? Yeah, a lot of institutionalists there. Yeah, well, let's put it that <laughs> yeah. way. But no, you didn't have to. You didn't have to be part of a representative body to actually say something intelligent here, and that was nice. Uh, there was an old yeah. man in a suit who uh, referred to several bills by their numbers uh, for the purpose of addressing the situation. Um, there was there was a whole lot of I I have an extremely long initialism for this, but uh, anyone who's been around politics, even people who haven't, since I technically haven't been, will recognize this this particular. Sentiment. It's, uh, I don't know what's going on here, but I don't like it, uh, which is someone who has or at least feigns no particular interest in politics in general, but sees something they don't like, and they're a common sense individual who thinks we should just figure this out. Um, they're Yeah, and there were a number of people out there who made a point of stating that they had never come out to a meeting like this, and I think that kind of goes back to what you asked me previously about how people who care about this can get involved. I mean, I know it seems like this stuff didn't have any effect, but it took years to get to the point where the lawsuit was filed and won. And some of the state's response since then has been the result of public pressure. And so maybe this specific hearing was kind of a sham, but all those voices repeating themselves in unison all the time does have an effect. And so that's really what needs to be done. It's just like, if you, if you care, add your voice to the chorus in whatever way you feel fit. And it may be a long time before you see results, but it seems like we're headed in the right direction. I mean, this lawsuit was something of a win. I think they didn't, they didn't fix the maps, but Berger made a good point. Um, there are far fewer minority majority districts now than there were in the previous map. And that in and of itself, allowing black voters to have a larger say in, in more uh, districts is, is a win. What is the ratio of black people to white people in North Carolina? Uh, North Carolina is about 22% African-American. And then we're about 10% Latino as well. So not an insignificant number of the people. Yeah, so I believe we had uh, nine districts that had black voting age populations over 50%, and it's down to one. <laughs> um, the other eight districts now 
are 33% to 49%. So, you know, That's it's not perfect, but it's, it's something. Yeah, it's something. And at this point, like I said, until the efficiency gap or whatever standard we end up using is implemented, we got to take what we can get and then use that to work as a springboard to fight more, just be loud. Do you think it was a good thing that things were as civil as they were? Do you think that an expression of outrage would have been, I'm not going to say more productive, but would have left a bigger impression I mean, if they need on the people who witnessed it, if they need a soundbite, there were a couple of people who totally did that. I mean, there there were a handful of people who crescendoed all the way to the end of their speeches. You know, when I was when I was looking uh, for news articles that covered it, and there were surprisingly few. I mean, the major news outlets covered it, but not in a significant way. Um, the one that kept showing up was the school teacher who talked about how if a kid colored outside the lines in her class, she would have to reprimand them. And she was here to reprimand these guys for drawing outside the lines or coloring outside the lines. Yeah. <laughs> that, that apparently struck a chord with people, but she was very soft spoken, very sweet. Yeah. That lady was, was almost eccentrically stereotypically a Southern Bible belt rocking chair type individual. So I got very, I got very stereotypically teacher, but I could see that too, especially from your perspective. No, oh, it was the accent more than anything. It was it was an articulated version of Southern. Yep. Yeah, she had the North Carolina granny accent. <laughs> but no, I'll put the I'll put the audio. I don't know if I'll just throw it either on the end of this podcast or separately on the website, but uh, just so that it's available somewhere, so that people can hear how they did. Unfortunately, we will not get to see how Vinny did because, uh, although I don't know, do you have do you have three minutes of vitriol now that the dust is settled that you want to contribute? No, no, I don't. I don't want to pretend to be speaking to elected officials. I'd rather just speak to the elected officials. Fair enough. We're gonna hope for uh, a court smackdown. I mean, I I don't know what the odds are of them throwing this to independent experts to redraw these maps i wish that someone had a good read on what the possibility of that was because that sounds great like that's that's the outcome that i'm hoping for but yeah but people don't like I just, computers I, I don't know if that's feasible or and not. computers would be the computers are basically the only thing that people consider fair anymore but they still consider them inhuman enough to not be worth trusting so i don't know hoffeller he uses uh he uses some MapQuick software or something like that. So he's got he's got a finger on the pulse. I'm not saying that computers are, in fact, unbiased. I'm just saying the perception is that if anything... Ca- I mean, that actually did come up. There was, there was more than one person who just said, uh, let a computer do it, basically. Um, but sentiment, public sentiment for that seems relatively tepid still on a lot of fronts. So, Yeah, and I think that's evidenced in the nonpartisan commissions that have been put together by other states. Uh, usually it seems to come down to, you know, they say it's nonpartisan, but I think that you, it's tough to avoid partisan leanings, right? So you just try to end up with an even number of Democrats and Republicans in a room and make sure that they can't get over on one another too severely. Yeah. Unless you can, unless you can apply a standard or trust a computer, you're probably not going to get better than that. But no, Let's hope for the efficiency gap, because that seems to work pretty well. 
and we can put up, I don't know how good my explanation of that was. It works much better and it's much more conceptually, uh, easy to grasp, uh, just by looking at a, a chart. So I'll give you something like that to put up on the website sure. as well to accompany this episode. I'll throw that up there as well. Cool. Well, Vinny, I will let you All get right, back to whatever fantasy sports that you were entertaining. Fantasy sports is the first draft of the year, first of two. I have I have two leagues in me at any given time. These people who are in like four, five, six leagues in a year, I can't I can't get behind that. It's too much for my brain. That sounds exhausting and terrible, but uh, it's yeah, it's it's really exhausting because you get guys coming to you being like, you know, I need this receiver to, to score at least eight points, but no more than twenty three points because I'm playing him in a, a different league. <laughs> that just it gets stupid. Pick your guys, run with them, you're done. And that is the hot sports minute on the Machination Log, Vinny. Thanks for being part of the Machination Log. Thank you for having me. Good morning, everyone.